This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm super excited about my special guest today, Jesse Jean. So I met Jesse actually at this Naked Mind Live 2018 and she was there with her mother and actually they have been on as a duo. I will post the episode number in the show notes, but it was by far one of the most emotional episodes that I have ever been on. And it was absolutely beautiful in terms of their journey with alcohol. But actually I have Jesse here today because here's the reality. I get asked more than anything else to write this naked mind for food. And I'm in the middle of my own journey for food. So I'm not ready to write a book about it, certainly. But I do know that so many people, when they get to a point of freedom from alcohol, they either turn to food as a replacement for sort of self-medication and numbing, or they've just always struggled with food just the same way they've struggled with alcohol. And so it, it becomes so intertwined. I know that's been true for me. I know it's been true for so many people. And um, Jesse is actually certified by the Institute of Psychology of eating. And she has helped over a thousand women through her food freedom program. And what is cool about Jesse is she works with the brain and with neuroscience. So it's a very similar approach to this naked mind. And so instead of me trying to figure this out, as you know, I've had a few different experts around food on the podcast, and I wanted to introduce everyone to Jesse. So welcome, Jesse. Thanks so much thank for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Annie. I, um, I remember when I first learned about you, it was very, um, it was a very divine experience. I was listening to a training by, um, Russell Brunson on marketing and funnels. And he had mentioned your company and your name kind of just as an example of somebody who was, you know, using some type of marketing or funnel strategy. And he had mentioned the impact you were making in the lives of thousands across the globe with alcohol. And it hit me on such a deep level. I just knew it was, I call it a God wink. I'm like, this is meant to be. And that's when I went down the rabbit hole of, uh, looking you up and looking up this naked mind. And then, you know, years went by. And since then my mom has been through your program and experienced incredible breakthroughs in her journey with alcohol through your program. So huge fan of yours and your work and really happy to be on today. That's so awesome. So I don't know if it makes sense for us to just sort of start with a bit of, of your story and how you got into this work. Yeah, absolutely. So I struggled with uh, binge and emotional eating for over a decade and it was a very demoralizing struggle. And, um, I, you know, I think I turned to food honestly, because of, um, well, there was a number of different reasons I turned to food, but one of them was, um, I couldn't control my mom's alcohol and it was really hard to watch that. And I 
when I was um, growing up, I became really afraid of alcohol. And so I never really uh, went to alcohol to cope as I got older because I was, I was afraid I would become addicted, but I did turn to uh, food and uh, food became my drug of choice. And it became something that I used to celebrate when it was a positive emotion. I wanted to use food to reward myself when I was feeling insecure or anxious or you know, doubting myself or, you know, whatever it was, I was overwhelmed. I would use food to numb out. And, uh, it just became this thing that felt, uh, very out of control in my life. And the more I tried to control food, the more food controlled me. And, uh, over the years, my body, as I was growing, my body started to change. It started when I was in high school. And so as a growing girl, my, my body was already changing, but then through, um, binging and then restricting my body was changing as well. And I felt so much guilt and so much shame around, uh, this struggle with food that I, um, I started to, um, look for an out, look for reasons to, well, it, when it got really dark was when I was in college and I started to question whether life was even worth it because I was so exhausted from constantly struggling and it being this silent struggle. I was succeeding in all different areas of my life, in my academics, you know, in work, I was, I was moving forward, but I couldn't seem to figure out this thing with food. And that felt so shameful. And so, um, I remember at one point just thinking, I don't know if I can continue living the rest of my life like this. And I, it got to this breaking point for me where I decided, you know, it's either, it's either I'm going to spend the rest, the rest of my life. If I have to spend the rest of my life trying to find a way out, I'm going to, or I'm not going to continue living was kind of my perspective because yeah. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. And so I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to figure a way out. And my motive at the time was I want to be a mom one day. And I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine continuing this cycle of addiction that has been in my family for generations and it being in the form of food and and potentially passing down this struggle or another struggle to my future children, if I'm blessed to have them. And so that became the thing I decided to fight for, because I so wish my mom would have fought for me when I, when I was, you know, uh, living at home and she was struggling with alcohol. I thought sh she should have fought for me. And that was something that, um, really motivated me. And so, um, yeah, I pursued healing and eventually found my way out and found freedom and, um, it's way sweeter than I ever thought it could be. And I'm so glad that I didn't wait until, you know, I, I didn't wait another day. I, I finally made it out. And now I've been able to help uh, many women do the same. Well, that's amazing. Wow. I love that so much. So what did it look like and, and what does it look like to sort of find freedom with food? Mm -hmm. It was a journey, um, such a journey. I thought dieting was the answer for so many years. And I thought, you know, everything, every next diet, every new diet that came out, um, seemed really attractive and really, um, appealing. And, you know, a lot of times they weren't even called diets. They were called lifestyle changes or, you know, they were, um, health plans. And so they were very, very believable. And, um, I continue to try these different diets. I continue to try different lifestyle and wellness plans, thinking it was going to be the answer. And, you know, each of these diets or wellness or lifestyle plans would demonize one thing or another, whether it was, you know, fat being demonized or it was sugar, or it was carbs, or it was eating at certain times of the day. Um, those things would be demonized. And so I would develop these rules around food and these rules around exercise that just caused me to feel more imprisoned. And this little rebellious part of me wanted to always put 
push back and go and eat the thing I was told I couldn't eat in secret or do the thing I was told I shouldn't do in secret. And so it was this constant, uh, I call it this mental hell hole, this war inside my mind that I was dealing with. And, um, I got frustrated and I, and the, the more I tried, the more frustrated I became, I tried, uh, overeaters anonymous for many years and, uh, was, you know, I don't want to ever, I don't want to bash overeaters anonymous or therapy. I went to therapy for many years. Um, but those, uh, those two routes didn't, uh, lead me in the direction of freedom. Um, I continued to adopt this identity more and more so that I was broken and that I was disordered. And, um, I decided at one point that going to the extreme of competing in bikini competitions would be the answer to finally getting the body I wanted, finally controlling food. And um, while I I did go and I competed, um, it exacerbated my struggles with food more than anything ever had. Um, the binging and the overeating and the insecurity that I felt competing in bikini competitions when I was on stage in a bikini, um, more, more lean than I had ever been in my entire life, um, was pretty telling. And yeah, you know, you look at people who do those types of things and you think, man, they must have all the confidence in the world. And they're some of the most insecure people I have ever met. And I know because I was one of them and, um, yeah, I, I did that for many years thinking that was the answer. And eventually I just exhausted all of my resources and I was tired and I'm thankful for that because I got to this place where I just didn't have the effort to keep, I didn't have the umph, the energy to keep trying the next diet. And I, um, started to look into the science of behavior change. I started to look into what was going on, uh, in my brain and thinking, you know what, if I keep believing I'm disordered, I'm going to continue to be disordered. And through a lot of self-study and a lot of research, I started to go down these different, uh, rabbit holes on the internet, learning about, um, the psychology of behavior change and learning about, um, uh, how I was identifying my, you know, my own self-perception, how I was identifying myself to myself and how, how dangerous that uh, Mm -hmm. identity was. And I decided to start implementing some of the tools, mental tools and techniques I was learning and slowly, but surely what happened was not this dramatic change, but rather these little moments where I felt like the impulses and urges to binge and overeat were starting to subside. And it was really through surrendering this white knuckle grip of control. I felt like I had to have around the way my body looked and around what I was eating that started to lead to more balance. But in the process of surrendering, I also had to allow myself to go through what I call the messy middle, where I was eating foods that were once off limits and sometimes in quantities that weren't very balanced, but meet myself with a lot of grace and compassion. And I realized I had put all of these foods on this pedestal and food was like, I had this, it had this like magic, this dark magic to it. And I had to start introducing things that were once off limits. And as I did that, I gave myself unconditional permission to eat. And I stopped self-objectifying myself, looking at myself as an object to be, to be viewed, but rather started seeing myself as an experience to be had, uh, mm-hmm. the pressure that was propelling these cycles, uh, started to dissipate over time. And this mean, to be totally honest to anybody who's struggling, this takes time. Um, but I always say, you know, if it, it, 
it took me, it took me about a year and a half to really work through all the struggles I had with food and body and find myself in this place of intuitively eating. I no longer track calories or macros or live on a meal plan. I'm not on diets anymore. I'll never diet again to get to this place. It took about a year and a half, two years, but I always tell myself, you know, and, and the clients that I work with, if it took you five, if it took you 10, wouldn't it be worth it? What's the alternative? Um, and fortunately it doesn't have to take that long when you start to understand the science of behavior change and you're really working in sync with the brain, but that's, I know that was long winded. Um, yeah, but that was kind of the process for me. Um, there was, I was taking notes because there are so many things that I, I wanted to come back to the first of which, which was, you know, you talked about, uh, doing things in secret mm. and it's interesting because one of the comments that I get from people who find freedom from alcohol is that they actually miss some of that secrecy. They miss that ability to just have something that they just do that nobody knows about. And I wonder if that was in your experience at all. You know, yes, I think there is this part of all of us that likes to be a little rebel. Um, and I think when we recognize how multifaceted we are, we can honor that part of us in a way that's not self-sabotaging, but that was certainly true. And I think also what was happening inside of me was, um, I liked the high highs. I was addicted to the high highs. And some of those moments came in, in the form of being rebellious with food. It was a high to break my diet and it was a high to, you know, go and binge in secret and just totally numb out. And of course those types of highs are followed by immense shame and guilt, but certainly it, it felt good. And I think, you know, I don't know if you notice this with, uh, individuals who are going through their journey with alcohol, but what I notice in the patterns I've seen over the last few years and working with the amount of women I have is when, when you start to, uh, heal and the pendulum isn't swinging from one end of the spectrum to the other in such extreme fashion, that's beautiful. And then also there's this, we, we miss the intensity. We miss the energy, um, that the rebellious side of us kind of produced. And what I say, when we get to that place, what I say to my clients is we have to nurture that that longing in us mm. to experience thrill, to experience adventure, to lean into our rebellious side in a way where it's, it's positive and we can cultivate, uh, that energy and we can drive it when we understand, um, when we understand it a little bit better. So, yeah, I definitely can relate to, um, really enjoying in, and I always tell my clients, you know, if you, you, you can like binge eating and also hate that you're doing it. Mm, mm, I like that a lot. That's really cool. Yeah. People often say that, you know, they really miss the secrecy. And I think in a similar fashion, there's something in almost a perception of, of self-care or I'm doing this just for me. Mm -hmm. And it's what I really want to do now, of course, in these instances, it's not the healthiest thing, but we're we're giving in to the part of ourselves that wants to be nourished or cared for. And we're doing it just for us. And it might be the only thing that we're doing just for us, especially mm-hmm. if we're living this martyr-esque existence in the rest of our life as whether it's like, you know, trying to be a super mom or a pleaser or, you know, overcome all of this stuff at work. And so there's just something in there that I thought was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the other thing that, gosh, I just loved that you said was this idea of self-perception, like how you identify yourself to yourself. Mm -hmm. And wow, there's just so much there in terms of, I mean, both alcohol and food, but thinking about if you're identifying yourself as broken, as problematic. I mean, my, my story was that for years, I was just asking, what is your problem? Mm -hmm. You know, what's wrong with me? That was like my primary question. Mm -hmm. And once I replaced that with like, why is this happening? And some curiosity, that was such a transformational experience, but yeah, I'd love you to just talk more about like that concept of how you identify yourself to yourself, because it's something I haven't heard said in quite that way before. I think it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think identity, our identity is the core of why we behave the way we behave. And our identity is shaped by, you know, so many different factors. And um, when we recognize how we've been conditioned, we can start to decide what we want to continue to identify with and what no longer serves us. And it's important that we do that. If we are, you know, I, I think if we're trying to change our behavior, kind of the outer rung of that is our behaviors, but there are so many things that precede the behavior. And at the very core of what's preceding our behaviors are our, our beliefs and our beliefs are part of our identity. And my self-perception was so limited. And the way that I viewed myself primarily when I was struggling with food, it was because I was struggling with my body image. And so when I thought about who Jesse is, probably 95% of that was made up of what she looks like, mm. not who she is. And Lindsay and Lexi Kite, they are two twin sisters who have studied uh, essentially body image. And they talk about if we want to become more in our lives. We have to see more in ourselves than what we look like. And so I like to think about my own identity as a pie and what, what piece of that pie is body, my body, the way that I look. And for so long, like I said, it was like 95% of my, my self-identity was the way that I looked. And, uh, that was so that was causing me to play so small and stay so stuck. But when I started to value other aspects of who I was and that pie chart started to shift around and I really saw myself and valued myself for who I was, the experience that, you know, I, I was, and I gave to other people, my energy, my character, the things that I valued when I really placed value on those things and focused on those things. I was able to start to find a lot of freedom from food because I wasn't so stuck in these self-objectification cycles. I was viewing myself as multidimensional, not just an object to be viewed. And so that was really, really powerful for me and continues to be powerful for me as I age. And as I go through different seasons of life, my body continues to change just like all of our bodies do. We're all headed in one direction and that's wrinkly old and dying. And that's the truth. And it's nothing to be, you know, it's just part of life. We have to accept that it's part of life. And if we cling to this fear of aging or weight gain or wrinkling or sagging, if we are so attached to the way that we look rather than who we are, um, it's going to impact a lot of areas of our life, including for most people, their relationship with food. Gosh, I love that so much. And you said, and you've said it again now, but just starting to look at your body as 
an experience to be had Mm -hmm. rather than an object to be viewed. Mm -hmm. And I think, gosh, that concept is so profound because if you consider that, then the experience is so rich. You know, there's Mm -hmm. an experience of sitting in this chair. There's an experience of drinking water. There's an experience of my cup of coffee. There's an experience of getting into the sheets at night. You know, there's an experience of sunshine on, on um, your skin and all of these things. And when you prioritize that over how it looks, mm-hmm. but I think the thing that comes right off the back of that for most people, and just to share a little bit about my journey, I was actually introduced, it might've been by, from you, but mm-hmm. somehow I came across the intuitive eating book in 2020 mm-hmm. during the pandemic, when of course mm-hmm. we all put on the quarantine 15 or whatever. And I remember just this concept of, okay, my nemesis is like cookie dough. Like I can just eat buckets and buckets of it. And when I was self-soothing and baking for my family and we were all stuck at home, of course, we we're all um, getting a little soft. And, and I remember it causing me so much stress and just kind of before even I, I read that book, I was just digging into like, why do I have so much fear yeah. around gaining weight? Like, what is the fear? Mm-hmm. And I actually ended up talking to my parents and well, talking to my mom, I, I knew with my dad where it had come from. And my dad, the first thing out of his mouth sometimes about a friend of mine, if they've gained weight would be a comment on their weight gain. And he's very, very mm-hmm. critical of, mm-hmm. of it. And, mm-hmm. and I was thinking in my mind, well, why is that? And anyway, unpacking it with him was his father died at 47 from a heart attack because he was overweight and it was just devastating to their entire family. He was, my dad was 19. Um, you know, his mom was widowed, his little sister was left alone. And so for him, he sees being, you know, overweight as you're going to die. So his Mm -hmm. fear and his comments, if I was to not lose the baby weight fast enough or all this stuff were so tied up for him with fear Mm -hmm. for my life. And when I disentangled that a little bit, I I could see it in a much more objective way than just taking it so personally. Mm -hmm. And I actually was able to talk to my mom as well when I was going through some of this work myself. And she had a father who just really objectified women. She remembers being at the beach with him. They lived in Hawaii on the base because they were a military family. Mm -hmm. And he would just have his video camera out married to my mom's mom to my grandmother and just be filming people and just going through her head was, oh, this is, this is what it means to sort of get, you know, love. And Mm -hmm. something else that you said, it was so profound. My mom is one of the thinnest people I know. I mean, she is legitimately, I've tried to buy her a pair of pants for Christmas and they're our heart pants because they have like little flannel on the bottom and they're just so cute. I ordered a size two, which is the smallest size they make. And I promise they won't fit her. They, they will be way too big. And yet she has had more self judgment of her shape than anybody I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And that's seeped to me because she's, you know, five foot two, I'm five foot eight. She maybe weighs a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm never under 155, usually closer to 160. And so I'm looking at myself in comparison mm-hmm. to her, I'm like, well, if she's complaining, what, what shot do I have right. at, at like looking? And mm-hmm. so there was so much to unpack just about why there was so much fear for me yeah. in weight gain. And 
then I was like, but none of these things are mine. Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm not afraid that my husband's going to have an affair if I gain weight. Mm -hmm. That's my mom's fear for me. And she will vocalize that every time Mm -hmm. that she thinks I'm, you know, gaining a few pounds, but that's not my fear. Right. And so it was so fascinating to kind of, which was tangential. And then after that experience, I found the intuitive eating book and I was really into that. And that was really interesting. And I was fascinated by it, but I had this, and I think a lot of people do is like, okay, this sounds great. You know, mm-hmm. eat whatever you want. Don't worry about it. But we're also afraid, well, what is that going to lead to? Because yeah. if I start eating, especially cookie dough, I'm really never going to stop. So <laughs> where is that going to leave me? Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. And all of this is so, um, you know, so important what you've shared this journey mentally that you've taken in unpacking your fear of weight gain and um you know just your conditioning is really really powerful because the more that you're willing to do this and the more that those of you listening are willing to look into why like why am i so afraid of gaining weight why am i so afraid of my body changing you will start to pull threads just like annie did that there's so many different reasons probably why we've all been conditioned to fear this. And we have to remember that not only have our, you know, not not only have our parents influenced us, but they've been conditioned by a multi-billion dollar industry diet culture that profits off of our insecurities that has also influenced the medical field. And so your doctors aren't immune to being influenced by diet culture. And so they're making recommendations, of course, hopefully backed by science, but also they're human beings. And we have to remember that they are influenced by very strategic marketing, um, you know, it, w- with diet culture and this value that uh, society has on thinness, we worship thinness. Mm-hmm. And it's very scary because we are tribal people. And to push against that narrative that it's okay to be all different shapes and sizes. And in fact, health is found in a variety of shapes and sizes. Um, to push against that uh, feels very scary for many of us because it almost feels like we're. Um, we're leaving the pack in doing that. And we are tribal creatures. We want to be a part of the pack. We want to be accepted by our communities, accepted by our families, accepted by society. And so to, to start to branch off from that and choose to accept ourselves, one, that's a pretty radical thing to do when, you know, there's industries that profit off us being insecure and not feeling good enough. Um, but it's so, you know, it's really, really powerful to start to look at these things and, and ask yourself, you know, why do I, one, why do I want to lose weight? What am I afraid of if I gain weight? What am I afraid of if my body changes? Do I want to continue to hang on to this narrative that, you know, my parents conditioned into me, or do I want to believe that there is, there is freedom and that there is beauty to be found in a variety of different shapes and sizes, and that I don't have to spend my entire life hating my body. And what's, I think what's really radical is to understand that body image, healing body image this is what most people get wrong. They think, well, in order for me to uh, heal my body image, I have to get to the size that I want. I have to get to the body that I want in order for me to, uh, to intuitively eat. If you've learned of intuitive eating, if you've read Evelyn Triboli's book, those of you listening, you know, you, you might be asking the same question that Annie's asking, like, okay, great. Give myself unconditional permission to eat. That sounds awesome. But what happens if I gain all this weight? What happens if I spiral out of control? with food. And this is a very valid question, valid concern. And what we have to one understand, I think the, the, uh, 
the gap is that we need to understand how to uh, shift our self-perception and how to heal body image. And healing body image isn't about getting to your goal weight or your goal size. It's about developing body image resilience. And what is body image resilience? It's, it's the ability to be less triggered by diet culture, our internal mean girl, the external pressures from our parents, from our society, because we truly believe that we are more than our body. And to get to that place isn't going from, you know, I hate my body or I don't feel good in my body to, I love my body. It's going maybe from, I don't like my body. I'm very afraid of the body I'm in. I'm terrified of gaining weight to maybe I can start to believe that there's other aspects of me that are valuable. Maybe I can get to this place where I can be a little bit more neutral with my body. I don't have to love it, but maybe I can be neutral with it. Maybe I can just say like, okay, yeah, don't love my stretch marks. Don't love the rolls. Don't love this, this extra weight but maybe there are other aspects of me that are valuable. And that practice alone is the beginning of developing body image resilience. And this whole journey of healing your body image and making peace with food doesn't mean that you can't have health and fitness goals. And I think that's really important. Those who start to dive into the world of intuitive eating may be met with a lot of messages that feel very scary that you, you have to let go of your desire to, you know, lose some weight or let go of your desire to look a certain way. And I'm here to say that you don't have to uh, feel stuck in your body. You have, you know, everybody should feel like they have the, the freedom to do whatever they want with their body. But right now, if you're trapped with food and, and, and deep in diet culture, you, you aren't free. You're, you're, you're trapped in these cycles. And to get to this place of freedom where you get to choose what you want to do from a place of groundedness and peace with food and, and your body and appreciation for your body, you can appreciate your body and still want to change it. That's a whole lot better than hating your body and wanting to change it. Oh man, that's, that's so, so good. I, I do remember. So I was starting to gain weight during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then I started to just really ask myself very critically, like, why am I, why am I so afraid of this? What's happening here? And, you know, I journal incessantly. And so I remember writing in my journals about how I just wish like, man, if I could just get back to my pre-pandemic weight, like that would be ideal because then I could just have a good platform to start from. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I was struck in this moment where I was like, huh. And I went and I dug through my journals and I found my journal entry from 10 pounds ago. <laughs> and what did it say? And if I could just get back to my pre third child weight, mm. it would be like, I just, that's exactly what I want. I would be happy if I could just wow. get back to that. And then I was like, wait a second. And I get, like you said, pulling on the thread. And the truth was that after I had my daughter, um, yeah, all I wanted to do was be back to before her, but then I found journal entries from before she was, before I was pregnant with her mm -hmm. and I was 10 pounds lighter then. And mm -hmm. I was like, if I could just get back to the weight before I was pregnant with any of my kids, mm. I found journal entries from before I was pregnant with any of my kids. Wow. And if I could just get back to the weight I was when I was married. And here's the thing, the weight I was when I was married was super unhealthy mm -hmm. and not like unhealthy from a like I was going to fall over or anything, but unhealthy from a, it was not sustainable. Mm -hmm. It was super not sustainable. I had been doing like kickboxing five times a week. I'd been running three miles in the morning. I'd been doing all this stuff. My honeymoon pictures, my head looks like 
too big for my body type deal. Mm -hmm. And I was idolizing a weight. And then I remember the morning of my wedding, going out for a five mile run Mm -hmm. and feeling self-conscious on, Mm -hmm. in my body. And so I was like, Oh, oh, the body is never going to deliver. I'm never going to be at a place where I'm actually like, it's in my mind. And that's when I started pulling on the threads of like, well, why am I so afraid of this? Right. Mm -hmm. And then I actually did go on this. Okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm just making a commitment. I'm just not going to diet anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to, and, and man, Jesse, it is terrifying, especially because the scale goes up before it balances out. Like Mm -hmm. it, goes up and that's, it's such a scary place. And all of the old, it almost forces you to look at all of your fear because yeah, you know, literally the process is weight gain. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. And it certainly can be. And I think it's really important to highlight that when we let go, you know, of our addiction to being a certain weight or a certain size, or, you know, not feeling good enough or constantly wanting to, you know, be lighter when we let go of that. Yeah. But we can gain weight. And, you know, some people do, some people don't, some people lose weight. It's, you know, everybody has a little bit different experience, but, you know, I, clients will really clients that I work with will really, really be trying to make progress in this. And there's some, you know, common things that, uh, keep people stuck in the fear. And, um, one of those things is continuing to find safety in the numbers and the numbers of your, you know, your clothing size, your, the scale. And this is what I tell my clients. I say, Hey, you know, it, it doesn't have to be forever, but if we could divorce the scale for a while, um, it's going to force you to train your mind to anchor safety in something that isn't a number. And that's really important to do. That's really important in the process of healing our body image is to learn different ways. Our brain can, um, establish safety that aren't related to numbers. And, and sometimes that means deleting, you know, for some of my clients, it means deleting the, uh, macros app. It means deleting, um, or taking off their Apple watch. That's counting steps. Like we need to release our attachment to numbers and understand that health and confidence is something that's developed in the mind and, you know, throughout our body. But this idea too, I think a lot of us have this fear that if we don't track these things, they're going to get out of control. But what happens when we decide to not track some of these things, we start to listen to the body and our body's always speaking to us, but sometimes it's subtle. And because we're so used to looking externally to, for things to tell devices, to tell us how our body's doing, we let go of, you know, practicing, tuning our ear, tuning ourselves to hear what the body's trying to say. And so kind of releasing this, all these tracking systems to get reconnected to the body can be really, really powerful in the journey of healing. I don't remember the last, we don't own a scale. I don't remember the last time I've stepped on a scale. Um, and I don't, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be forever, but that can be a really powerful part of the process as well. And then, you know, you might gain some weight, but sometimes you, you won't even recognize it because you're feeling so good. And you're working through so many of the mental barriers that are keeping you from confidence. And yeah, you might step on the scale. And you're like, wow, I wasn't feeling insecure until I stepped on the scale and saw that number. And it's like, you know, I, I think that's, um, it's interesting. And it's, you know, a lot of times we, you know, people say, oh, it's so much about the body. If I could get to the size, I'd know I'd be, ha- I know I'd be happy, but like you, you know, like you shared, it's, it's not always the case. And I always say, you know, have you ever looked at a, uh, a picture of yourself 
when you were lighter and thought, man, why wasn't I confident then? Like, and, and you didn't feel secure then. And it's like, it's proof that it's never been about the body. It's about what's going on in our brain. And it's crazy because if we don't, um, if we don't learn how to heal our body image, and if we don't commit to learning, and this is the message that I'm so passionate about is you're not going to learn everything you need from listening to a couple podcasts. If you're really struggling with body image and you're really struggling with food, I want to encourage you one that it's not overly complicated the way out, but there is a lot of components to it and commit to learning. Don't read a book and feel discouraged because it didn't revolutionize your struggles with food and body. Keep learning, keep pulling the threads, read the next book, listen to another podcast, dive in, keep trying because the puzzle pieces will come together, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a process, but I promise it's a process worth taking because freedom from those challenges is so, I mean, light, my life is far from perfect, but to not struggle with insecurity in my body or food at all. Like, yeah, there's days where I don't feel the, the best in my body, but I know how to mentally navigate my way out of that. And I used to not, it used to influence my relationship with food. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. Yeah. I love when you said it, it takes like a year and a half. And, and I think that's super encouraging because yeah, I find myself really probably in the messy middle and mm -hmm. it's interesting, all this, all the stuff that is happening in, in my mind and, mm -hmm. you know, looking at the scale and thinking probably I'm going to serve up a negative to any number that is presented. So that's interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just so fascinating that it is, takes time. Like it really, truly just takes mm -hmm. time. And primarily we have to understand that this is not a battle. Um, although I don't love that word, but I'll just use it because I can't think of another one, but it's not a battle that's going to be won externally. Mm -hmm. It's not a battle that's going to be won on the scale or in the gym or with what we put in our mouth. Like it is a hundred percent going to be won or lost based on what we think and what we think about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then when you, what I have found with me very recently, I would say, honestly, within like the last two or three months is I have found myself, you know, doing things that I used to do just naturally that I haven't done in a long time. Because honestly, when my third daughter, when my third child was born, my daughter, I said, okay, now's the time I'm done having kids. So now's the time I've been putting it off forever. Now's the time. And, I, and for the first time, pretty much in forever, I dieted. I, yeah. and I hadn't really dieted before mm -hmm. I I'd been, you know, really much more focused on um, like exercise than diet. Yeah. And yeah, I lost weight. And then as soon as I ate a single carb, cause I did keto, mm -hmm. I gained it all back plus some, and then I felt broken. Like I was like, I screwed up my metabolism. Like I am broken. I cannot what is happening? It was just so disheartening. Mm -hmm. And then all of my cues started coming externally, right? What does the scale say? D yeah. Dictated how I was going to feel that day, how confident I was going to be, what I was going to think about, how I was going to be in relationship with my husband. Like all of those things were external. And mm -hmm. only recently after, it's probably been about a year and a half for me that I, I'll find myself like just getting full and just pushing the plate away and not finishing it. And there's no sense of like deprivation yeah. or fear, right? Which is beautiful. It's so beautiful to have a relationship with food like that. And I, you know, for those of you who are struggling to, to, you know, sit down and be able to eat and stop when you're full, 
for somebody who doesn't struggle with food, it's like, yeah, that's what you do. But for those of us who have struggled with food, we know that that feels amazing to be able right. to do that, to just lose interest in food and okay, I'm done. I'm full. I'm satisfied. I can move on with my life. I don't feel like I have to finish everything in front of me, or I don't feel deprived because I'm forcing myself to stop at a certain point. That's a huge win. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, that's just so great. So, so Jesse, let's do two things to wrap up. Number one is where can people find you and your beautiful work? And when you talk about your podcast, can you tell me why you named it, what you named it? Mm, yeah. The dear body podcast. That's honestly where I like to spend the most time. I feel like I can communicate, uh, hope the best through the podcast. Um, but yeah, the dear body podcast, I named it that because, uh, I feel like our struggles with food are for 99.9% .9 of people are also related to uh, the fight against our body. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think, you know, I, I, I named it that because I want us to focus on, uh, coming back into a loving relationship with our body. What does your body need to hear? Uh, what does she, does she need an apology? Uh, does she need a thank you? Uh, so dear body insert the blank. What does your body need to hear from you today in order to release a little anxiety and settle into a, a, a state of peace so that your relationship with food can be peaceful. So, uh, it's kind of my own, uh, love letters back to my body. I put her through so much. So that's why I name the podcast that. Um, so you can definitely find me over there. We're on all podcast platforms. I do hang out on Instagram and TikTok at Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-J-E-A-N-N-N. -N -N. And then my program, the Food Freedom Online program, um, that's where I really go deep with my clients. It's been such an honor to walk alongside women who are struggling from all over the world with their relationship with food. And it is a process and it is also uh, really, really powerful. You don't need to feel shame if you're struggling. Uh, one, my, my biggest piece of encouragement for those of you who are struggling is uh, just reach out, come out of isolation, you know, in isolation is where the struggle thrives. You got to bring it into the light. There's no shame. You're not alone in it. You're not the outlier that nothing's ever going to work for you. You need to keep trying and uh, you're deserving of it. You're worthy of help and um, your family, friends, and community need you to show up and be the healthiest version of yourself as well. Oh, I love that so much. So let me um, end this podcast with a question I always ask, and I'll frame it a little bit differently. But if you were going to talk to yourself, uh, go back in time and talk to the Jesse who was, you know, on stage, very thin, very fit, but very insecure in a bikini and tell her about what your life is like now, what would you tell her? I would probably tell her, you're not going to believe this. She's really going to have a hard time swallowing this one but you are more confident than you've ever been after you've gained some weight and let go of this obsession with the way that you look and you no longer have to be a slave to food. And I know it's hard to believe right now, but you will step into an easy and effortless relationship with food. Your body has it. And I would just encourage her to start trusting her body sooner that the body really does want to be in balance. Um, and I would probably just tell her I'm proud of her for not, not quitting. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. thank you so much. It's been so fun to chat and so much for having me. Appreciate it. Are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change? 
If so, you might consider my intensive program. It's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home, and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol. If you want to learn more about this, go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.